0: hey everybody this is optimus welcome to another awesome episode of the retro futures podcast today we got a huge huge show we are going to cover one of my all-time favorite stories uh legendary series in gaming i got two of the coolest guys i know to talk about it we went through many 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 hours of this series online and uh it's a series that is near and dear to our hearts. I wanna welcome our guests. First I have Mr. Mitch, the creator of Ruminations Radio himself and the six button samurai on here from the Six Button Samurai podcast. This is gonna be really awesome. How are you guys doing? Good, great my friend. (laughs) give a shout out to the entire ruminations radio network everybody's doing some killer shows i'm looking forward to hearing all this stuff going on um all right so let's just get into it guys Uh, let's talk about a little galaxy called algol and a game called (laughs) fantasy star and a series called fantasy star um you know it was a uh it was an answer to the RPG craze that was coming out of Japan, right? Sega in Japan had their uh, SG-1000, 3000. What was a master system called in Japan? SG-1000. The, the master system was the Mark three. Mark three. The earlier one was like the SG-3000 or something. That it went through. Like- there was the
1: SG-1000, and then there were subsequent revisions. And then the yeah. Mark three came out. Well... I'm probably going to get this wrong cuz I'm not as adept at the 8-bit stuff cuz my right. personal buying frenzy didn't emerge until the 16-bit era. But um essentially the Master what we know as the Sega Master System came out to as an answer to Nintendo's success with the Famicom and Fantasy Star itself we could interpret as sort of an answer to the Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy craze, those games were just selling hand over fist in Japan. I mean, they were, you know, they would actually declare a holiday when a new Dragon Quest game would come out. Yeah, they so, had to
0: because the, nobody would go to school. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so
0: Sega decided they wanted in on some of this and they put together a team to create their own, uh, rpg and the really cool thing i liked about this is everybody else was doing i mean dragon quest was was your classic um D &D style fantasy rpg uh japanese style with a little bit more of an anime trope and then um squaresoft pretty much copied that for final fantasy and there were a whole bunch of other ones and uh the team that that created fantasy star decided to do something different they're like what if we did more of a space fantasy in the vein of like star wars and dune i mean with like as an american (laughs) growing up watching star wars and dune like when i first saw fantasy star i was like whoa this is this is like star wars and dune kind of put together when i saw the uh the initial like ads for fantasy star one that showed like the sandworms and stuff i was like Mm -hmm. that's crazy um Yeah, so they they put together this game and and, uh, it got really good reviews in Japan and uh, we got it over here and it got really good reviews here, but it's almost like the Western world wasn't quite ready for a game this big on a console.
1: No, I mean, I can tell you firsthand the first time I ever encountered anything Fantasy Star, um, I was poking around at the KB Toys at the local mall and they had Fantasy Star for the Master System, and I didn't own a Master System yet. Um, but I looked at the box and I was really struck by number one, just visually, it looked like something else. Like it didn't look like other 8 bit games looked. Like it, it was prettier, it had a hell yeah. of a lot more
0: color, you know? Yeah. I, I think I remember the. Especially TV. compared to the Nintendo games at the time.
1: Right. I mean, even like. You know the Dragon Warrior games were pretty pretty bland visually by comparison. I know somebody's probably very angry about me saying that just now, but um, I distinctly remember on the back of the box seeing like the sandworm and the eyeball with the little bat wings, and I was just like, "This looks really cool, and it was also more expensive than the other games, and I was like, "This is also really expensive, so it wasn't something that i was gonna hop to immediately and frankly like i was a little bit like almost intimidated by it i was just like like what is this what's going on And i hadn't played any role-playing game to that point so i remember seeing it being very intrigued by it but i did not i did not actually bite on the first game
0: yeah i uh i did not own a master system the so uh, some kids from school had one and uh, one of them that lived in the same. We lived in these um, townhomes at the time. These guys, uh, these two brothers had one and they had fantasy stars. So I'd go over there and watch them play it. And I was like, wow, this looks cool. And then we'd be like, all right, let's go get our bikes. And we go right around or whatever. So I never got to see much of the game at that time. Later... After I got a Genesis, uh, I found a, a used uh, Master System converter at Bookman's one day, and I finally played Fantasy Star One. But that wasn't until after I played Fantasy Star Two. So, Fantasy <laughs> ah. Star Two was really the first Fantasy Star I played. Um, but uh, really quickly, I wanted to get into like sort of the story of the world of Fantasy Star One it takes place in the Algol star system, which is an actual real star system the planets i'm pretty sure are just made up uh by the team at sega though um the star system has three planets you have palma which is like an earth-like planet uh motavia which is like a desert planet aka that was their Tatooine or arrakis if you Mm want (laughs) to see what the influence was and then you had dizzolis which was like this icy wintry hoth uh, hoth Mm -hmm. right (laughs) yeah yeah or uh north of the wall if you want to get game of thrones uh, <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. and um but i remember when i it was cool playing that game or seeing that you could travel i would watch my friends play but you could fly to other planets and there were vehicles to drive it just was bigger than any of the other like b- way bigger than anything you did in at the uh the console rpgs that, uh, that were on the nes at the time and and even the pc i had played Ultima 1, 2, and 3 on my buddy's uh, 386. And Phantasy Star 1 was bigger than all those. It was it was a huge game with a broad scope, a really interesting story, you know, with corruption and, you know, the good versus evil aspect. And it started as a revenge tale. And I thought that was a cool twist. And, the, and your character lead was female, sort of like, you know, From the beginning, not like Metroid where you find out at the end that you were a female. Like from the beginning, you're the first character is a female.
1: And it started riding that wave with like
0: Ripley and Sarah Connor. Right. And that was really cool uh, to see at the time. And I think like our generation was the first generation that got that stuff. I know you just recently played Phantasy Star 1 on the newly released Switch collection. What did you think of it?
1: Yeah, I played the Sega Ages version of it, which obviously has a lot of mon- modern conveniences attached. I mean, it's got sort of a a mapping feature which I know is a really huge thing in terms of convenience for playing through that game. There's also some rebalancing in terms of the experience points and money earned from battles, so it all makes that quite a bit less grindy, but I was still really impressed to play this thing that was really so groundbreaking for the time um you know it, it even though the the first game i played in the era was fantasy star 2 um you know all of the so many of the themes and the kind of quasi sci-fi fantasy thing you know that hybrid um it's all present in there and it's just, you know, really, really enjoyable. And so, you know, even though I didn't get to play that until years and years later, like I, I'm still really impressed by it.
0: Yeah, I, I might have to pick up that Sega Ages collection or the version on Switch just to go back and uh, play it with a little bit of that friendliness. Cause when I finally played it, you know, I was about, uh, Twelve or thirteen, I had to get a tablet of graph paper and <laughs> out those dungeons because those three D dungeons you could get lost real easy. I remember getting lost a few times. Me like, I don't know where I'm going. Ah. Yeah, and once if you, you start like it, falling through floors,
1: yeah. And like, oh man, some of those sequences to so climb,
0: tricky. It's,
1: it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, and even there, like I had to make like some notes while I was playing because, like. You get a map of those things, but it's it's the elevation between floors is still not completely like cut and dry so yeah
0: it's uh but it's great though um and that kind of you this first game sets up you know the universe and the story um so Elisa's brother is killed by uh Lashik. that's what they call him in the Japanese one. I always pronounced it lasik as a kid but it's I guess it's Lashik. um And then they find out he was being controlled by something called Dark Falls, or what later is Dark Force in later translations. And after you defeat Dark Force, uh, it's revealed that Alice was the lost princess to Ogle's ruling. And she's given the option to accept her birthright, and she does according to the canon story. And that's where we leave off with uh, Phantasy Star 1. And uh, Sega scrambled really quickly because it did well in Japan to bring us a sequel on the newly released Sega Mega Drive, aka the Genesis hardware in the states. And uh, they had the same team uh, led by Yuji Naka, and they had a huge task, and that was to make a game better than Fantasy Star One, and that was Fantasy Star Two. And this would be the one that I played first. Um, I had seen and it, again I think Fantasy Star 3 was starting to be advertised uh US wise I I got my Genesis kind of late and I saw um uh, those ads and I had just played through like Final Fantasy and Dragon Warrior 1 to 4 on the NES I'd beaten all those and uh I couldn't find a copy of Fantasy Star 2 they were sold out everywhere and I finally went. Uh, I called Funko Land's headquarters. This is before they merged with uh, GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I got a used copy from Funko Land, and they they sent it to me. And luckily, it came with the hint book, which was awesome. Right. And because uh, man, if you didn't have that hint book, Fancy Star Two would be pretty tough. But um,
1: uh, even if you had the hint book, Fantasy it was 2 would right. Kick your ass. <laughs>
0: so I boot that game up. It starts with this awesome title screen you see the planets the story immediately sucks me in we've got a, a main character in the u.s version his name is rolf and he's having dreams of a woman fighting a dark creature that's obviously Alice fighting the dark force and he's a government agent like they don't really say what it seems like he's maybe somewhat of like a secret service or something for the for the uh government and algo, it's been a thousand years since fantasy star one motavia has now uh, been terraformed into a totally eco-friendly green planet with water instead of this barren desert but there's monsters roaming about now that they haven't seen and you are tasked to find out what's going on and you have a partner with you uh, a young woman slash monster hybrid named nay and she is only a one algal year old but she's full size like you know a woman um and that's because she's a hybrid of a human and a bio monster and that's where our story starts and uh the story gets crazy from there for fantasy star 2 we find out that um There's a computer called Mother Brain that's gone crazy, and once you assemble a team of other warriors, it's it's interesting how the team members join you in this game. Basically, you go to, you travel, this game doesn't hold your hand, you travel to another town, and then if you end up going back to the main town, all of a sudden there's a knock on your door, and... Another character shows up at your house and says, hey, I'd like to join you on your quest. <laughs> <laughs> and it took me a while to figure that out because at first, when I first played the game, I was just like, man, I'm getting wrecked. And I'd like, I would like—I knew right away because old school RPGs, you had to grind to gain mm-hmm. some levels. And then when I finally found that third character who is uh, Rudo, the gunner guy, that made stuff a lot easier. And then you finally oh, yeah. get a fourth character. And the cool part about it is um, they let you pick which characters you want to take with you other than in the beginning, it you have to have Rolf and Ney, but the, any other two characters you can grab for your quest. Um, there was a little bit of a change in the uh, graphics. We lost the 3D dungeons. We got these really, really difficult-to-navigate maze-like 2D top-down view dungeons with a really cool line-scroll effect.
2: Um, at so first, it's the, really cool. After Shining while, in the Darkness... Really take that 3d dungeon thing uh, was that uh, did they rip that from the original fantasy star, star? i wouldn't yeah. i wouldn't
0: say they ripped it that was probably their inspiration that's for inspiration yeah that's a good, yeah, I, that's a good yeah. question
2: that's a good question because yeah. it seems like they kind of picked up that ball and ran with it right
1: yeah and that was more of a pc rpg conceit you know the yeah the wizardry first person perspective yeah
0: yeah wizardry was famous on the pc for that I don't know yeah. like
1: um so i was chomping at the bit for the sega genesis to appear in america because by that point in time like mid 1989 it had already been profiled in like electronic gaming monthly and some of the other magazines of the era and the idea that there would be this new sega machine that could do really excellent arcade ports because you know I was already an absolute fan of things like shinobi and golden axe and games of that ilk and so knowing that all of those games were likely to drop for the genesis i was i was completely in so it was my 15th birthday when i managed to get a Sega genesis and Later that year um is when lots of pictures of Phantasy Star 2 had begun to appear, appear in the magazines. The game had already dropped in Japan, but the English version wouldn't be coming out till the following spring of 1990. So I was really pumped for it. And the thing was, from the screenshots, the art style of the game was absolutely in tune with the whole anime thing that I had completely fallen in love with from, like, Robotech on, you know, it had very much that same sort of look to it. So I was really psyched for it to come out, um, even though, like, I hadn't played a role-playing game to that point at all. Um, And so it arrived, and I was stoked for it. And um, the hit book would ultimately prove to be both a blessing and a curse. Um, It would be a blessing because, like, I had absolutely no vocabulary or understanding of how those games worked at all. Like, the whole idea that, like, oh, if you want to stop playing, like, you need to save your game somewhere, this, that, and the other. Like, I had played Zelda, and so I sort of understood that, like, conceptually, but, like, you know in that game saving was more of like a thing that was kind of forced upon you whenever you died, you know what I mean? The idea of like, oh, I need to stop and save and go to this one place in every town where you would do that. Um, that was just an entirely different ball of wax. So it was really this kind of torturesome thing where, you know, I'd be excited to get to like the next part of the story and push on ahead, but routinely I would wind up getting to dungeons and just getting my ass absolutely handed. To oh me yeah, and just being so so hard, <laughs> like chronically under leveled. You know, and the the frequency of the battles in the dungeons is just punishing. it's insane. It's, it, it's insane. really yeah, really I, like, it's, and I don't know if I don't know I don't know if that aspect of it is worse in the US version versus the Japanese version. I think they're both pretty bad. Um, But at any rate, like I played that, I wound up playing that game the entire summer of 1990. And it's notable because that was like the first game, like brand new game that I just went out and bought with money from the first job that I ever had, which was running around at this local ballpark selling peanuts and Pepsi during the AAA ball clubs games all summer long. So. Um yeah, it I had numerous mishaps with that game, like um spoiler alert, there's a key character in the game that dies, and it's kind of a famous sort of RPG death. Um, but I had to watch that character die twice because Ooh. the first time I was going <laughs> through it, I had a big old summer monsoon storm. Oh no. That gave my house a power, power blackout while I was, like, maybe a half hour removed from that cutscene. And, of course, I hadn't saved in between, because I was just like, ah, this is amazing! You know, I'm, like, white-knuckling it through this narrative experience, and, like, you know, a character died, and that was, like... Again, that was, like... Fantasy Star always had more of, like, a kind of melancholy streak to it. Um, you know, a lot of the anime stuff that I liked... Like, Robotech was famous for having this main character die. And that was something that, you know, if you grew up on cartoons and other kinds of narratives that were fed to kids our age, like, you know, G.I. Joe, everybody fires red and blue lasers lasers. and nobody ever ever dies, you know what I mean? And so to have a character actually die and have all the other characters be impacted by it and have the story gain that kind of gravitas because of it was just And not
0: only that after that part in the game you are now branded a traitor Mm -hmm. yeah so the, the story gets crazy that's um i'm gonna cut into you here while you before we get too too far along since you mentioned that um I think what this is this was like kind of the start of my fascination with this topic of like futurism and people predicting the future like you have this entire utopia world but if you remember talking to the characters in the town some of them aren't happy like one of the people that joins your party is this woman who hates the utopia so much she's out there stealing stuff cuz she likes the thrill of stealing mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just interesting that um it seems really common with Japanese fiction at the time whether it's anime manga or games and I think they were they were sort of in the midst of a utopia that was the bubble economy of Japan when all this was happening. Mm-hmm. Um you know there's ties to Akira and all that um but it, to me I was just fascinated with the story of where even in a utopia like things can go painfully wrong. There's a part of the story where you find this girl um In a dungeon and you rescue her and then uh you find out her father is trying to extol extort money on the bridge and she says i'll give it to me i'll i'll take it to him and he just kills her and doesn't even realize it until afterwards when she falls that it's his own daughter and yeah that game has some crazy story points but it is very hard it is very grindy if you don't have that hint manual um, or you don't have access to the internet. I wouldn't even try to play Fantasy Star Two. Honestly, it's very, very, very difficult, very unforgiving, very old school. If M Two were to do a Sega Ages version of that for the Switch, I would buy that in a heartbeat because I really love that game. Um, the music, the battle animations. I, I, the one critique I have of the game over Fantasy Star One is that Fantasy Star One had those each. Time you fought somebody, the background would change, like it had a cool background. And to save memory on Fantasy Star 2 so they could have more areas. The battle backgrounds were like this generic uh blue, blue and dark blue grid screen. Um you know. Yeah, it was like the danger room. Yeah, from <laughs> X-Men or something. Yeah. 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 But the game is and when I, I just I remember just like you said, grinding and I figured out real quickly, okay, like every time I went to an area, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna walk around and grind grind till I gain like two or three or four or five levels before I even try to go to this next dungeon because the dungeons were hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember when I finally beat it. The ending is crazy. Um we're gonna drop some major spoilers here because I thought this is this is really relevant to the topic at uh retrofuturist culture. Um so you get to the end point of the game and you find out that humans from Earth were the ones that traveled to Algol and created Mother Brain and you end up fighting them at the end of the game. And the game kind of ends on a cliffhanger. After you've defeated Mother Brain, you destroy the computer, you fight Dark Force. All of a sudden, you you uh, it goes to the scene where you meet the humans and then you get these really cool, like, almost... Uh, manga like cinema cutscenes where all of the main characters of Fantasy Star say a line about you know what they're gonna do next in this battle, and then it the game kind of just ends, and you're just like what what just happened? That was crazy, and it was so good, and I went on such a crazy ride, and at that point, Fantasy Star Two is over, and the most of the team from Fantasy Star Two at Sega is because they're so good they're brought over into another project because Sega needs to create a game to compete with Nintendo head-to-head, and they, they start working on Sonic, and Yuji Naka is such a great programmer, they, they steal him. So uh, Phantasy Star 3 is created by an almost entirely new team. I think there was one or two people left from the Fantasy Star 2 team, and then they mostly brought in the team that had worked on the Mega Drive, Golden Axe 1 and 2. Uh, into fantasy star three and at first glance fantasy star three doesn't seem like a fantasy star game Mm -hmm. but uh now that now that we've got caught up to where uh mitch started mitch this was your first fantasy star game so i want to i want to get your your thoughts on this before uh six button and i jump in here
2: (laughs) no no no, and and i'm glad that you guys you guys did but it does kind of like cut into my my bona fides because i didn't start when you guys started like my early days of gaming were very uh i we had an an nes i mean I had an atari way back and we moved uh, to the nes we finally got one but i was so casual like i never touched rpgs or anything like that i played zelda and then uh, my brother was actually the one who asked for a Genesis, um, the Christmas that we got one for, as a family. And I think it might have been in 92, 93, somewhere in there. But uh, so I, I wasn't playing that kind of stuff. See, so you, and you got
0: your Genesis. That's, I got my Genesis around the same time. So I, I didn't get mine like. Eighty nine, ninety. Like my buddy got his, or like six yeah. got his. I was like, you. I didn't get a Genesis till like ninety two or ninety three.
2: Yeah, and the Master System I had seen uh, at a couple friends' houses, and and honestly, Sega always seemed like the the more uh metal choice. And I <laughs> and I wanted a Master System really badly. I mean, for Christ's sake, it was black, so you know, it was already attractive. And it was very
0: it. angular and very eighties. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So I mean I didn't you know and then when I I went away to school um I dug the NES out of our basement and took it with me because my brother was a jet. and I was like you know what from time to time I'll uh, get a chance to play and you know in between classes or whatever and then I get I get to the dirty tee and uh I don't know man like at some point in there probably meeting Neil at Bookman's uh, hooking me up all the time. Like I, I really fell in love with gaming like all over again. And that was when I finally uh, bumped into fantasy star. In fact, I'm fairly certain that I bought it there at Bookman's. I might've even bought it from James. Who knows? I don't know when you started working there, but it it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and I'd heard about it and I saw the, the cover and I saw the price tag and I figured, well, that must be something good. So uh when i finally did jump in i did i started with fantasy star 3 and this was before the internet this was before you could hear the rumblings that that eventually um uh, fantasy star fans were not really thrilled with fantasy star 3 from what i understand but for me when i picked it up it was a revelation it was it was really really something awesome i'd never never touched anything like that before and i mean i don't want to get too far ahead into the story no dude, but go I want me- I want it dump
0: it yeah. dump it,
2: <laughs> so for me, like just the the mechanics of of the idea of moving through generations already seemed like way beyond anything I'd ever played. I mean, it was like usually you're just I one guy play through a story.
0: be like the only RPG that does that to my knowledge.
2: I don't know like, of anything else on that it.
0: level. I can't think of anything else like that's as popular. there might be other games that do, but I think it's the probably the
2: game that's most well known for that feature mm-hmm. yeah um i and i was a little sci-fi fan i mean you guys know just as well i mean i was into stars like oh these guys have lightsabers too and then right. the or, or the orakians i was like oh come on that's that's like they're from iraq and so as a little Dune fan too, not only the Sandworms, but then Horacians. <laughs> I'm like, Shh, right. yes, i oh, I know. <laughs> they, they
0: wear the Sega, the Fantasy Star guys do definitely wear their influences on their sleeves. They're like, oh, hey, uh, we're just going to throw a double lightsaber in this game. And yeah, these are Sandworms. <laughs> and these guards in Fantasy Star 1 don't look like stormtroopers at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're, not, They're not subtle. You could argue
1: that one thing the internet completely messed up is, like, this painful, relentless, like, worldwide laser eye on copyright infringement. Oh. You know what I mean? No, for sure. For sure. In that time, I mean, you know, Sega had, like, nine or ten ripped-off characters for Revenge of Shinobi, (laughs) you know? I mean, it was just, like hey, we're going to borrow and reinterpret this all day long. You know what I mean? And that's absolutely a thing that you just can't get away with
0: it. No, not now. Yeah, so uh, to piggyback on your discussion there, uh, Mitch, yeah, so Fantasy Star 3 came out, and it wasn't as well-received. It had a different look. And at first, I remember when I played this, I was like, wait, is this the same series? Because when the game starts, so you didn't know this. So Fantasy Star 3, when you start, the game feels more like a classic, fantasy game and that's this is the thing that i really liked about the game is the story as the story progresses and you get deeper the plot twist happens right you Mm -hmm. figure out you're like oh wait a minute we've been we're not just on this continent we're inside a giant starship and that's what grabbed me thousand fucking years and like in those dungeons where you go through those giant dungeons to travel to the different parts of the ship and that's where you go to the different biomes of the ship like you go from the forest world to like the desert area to the dude that blew my mind um you know and and i like that they brought back the um uh, the battles were more like fantasy star one with the cool backgrounds and like almost like the first person attacks they didn't they didn't do the animations on the characters like fantasy star two but that didn't really bother me that much and then like you said the first story arc you have to decide you know you're playing a male character and you have to decide which which woman you're going to go with to marry and whichever one you marry that changes your ending there's eight different endings to this game or at least four something like that and uh and they're very um detailed in what happens and there seems to be only one true if you look at all of them there's like one kind of true ending and the rest of them are kind of crazy um Hmm. i remember that blowing me away finding out that you were on this giant ship and that's when i was like oh this is fantasy and then that's that ties directly into fantasy star 2 because in the story of fantasy star 2 the planet palma gets destroyed and these are the people that evacuated on these ships
2: that's what more, really drew me, me in. I, I, I was more than one of these, the history.
0: There's more than one of these ships from Fancy Star Three. We'll get into that later in the other game that the three of us played way too much of for our own good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's and that was really cool. And I, and and um, like I said, the character, whichever character you marry, and then the, so the next generation, you play a different. Your character will look different. Like if you marry the brunette in the beginning your second gen character is a male with brown hair but if you marry um the woman with like the blue hair your second gen character has like green hair and you're just like whoa like it's it's totally different depending on what you choose
1: yeah i mean my experience with that game um it had had ear surgery that summer so was kind of laid up and you know, that was, like, kind of an oddly perfect time to just sit and
0: to play, a RPG. play this very
1: grindy JRPG. And I remember, like, gameplay-wise, I enjoyed it. Aesthetically, like, I just didn't love the palette of the game nearly as much as I did, too.
0: Yeah, um, they went from, like, an anime look to more of a classic fantasy look. Color-wise, yeah, yeah, yeah
1: the pa- yeah. I just remember the the landscape was much more like kind of a medieval thing than it was like the sort of you know futuristic biomes of that you're that you're immediately immersed in with Fantasy Star Two. But um, I didn't hate the game, and I didn't I didn't necessarily always feel like it deserved the the completely bad rap that it that it seemed to get in the magazines from there on because then it was just like oh ps3 is a terrible one Brr. like when when <laughs> are they gonna you know and that's just ah, alas i think most of us being that age at that time evaluating those games you know it was sort of easy to just be like Brr. when are they gonna do another good one kind of thing you know what i mean that was See, I
2: almost crazy. feel very lucky that uh i bumped into it when i did that i didn't have those preconceived notions of yeah what no, Star no you was
0: yeah, you got to play to it first. It. That's pretty awesome. I, like I said, I uh, I had played two and uh, I remember reading the magazine reviews of Fantasy Star 3, but you know, I didn't really take all that and you know, too much to heart. And like I said, I ended up playing it. I picked it up later. I waited and I ended up finding it on clearance at KB Toy for like $19.99 or something because it was <laughs> like it was like $70 or $80, just like Fantasy Star 2 was. Mm-hmm. So I got it for like 20 bucks and it was like it was sort of like you james it was the uh, the summertime and it was like the perfect time to to dive deep into a game like that i just remember getting up at like 7 or 8 in the morning when i was like 13 or 14 and i would play like all day cuz it was hot right yeah. unless i was going to the pool or something i was just going to sit inside and play fantasy star 3 and then i i i uh branched out my saves so that i could i could see i got to see three of the endings uh when i played through it back then mm-hmm nice um and it was a lot of i really i enjoyed the game um you know like i said i i i still preferred some of the aesthetics and music from 2 but i enjoyed fantasy star 3 for what it was um but then we had quite a drought and i just remember not knowing if we were ever going to get another fantasy star game and i remember being a junior or senior in high school and find the EGM had leaked some stuff about fantasy star four and they had some screenshots. And originally it was supposed to be a Sega CD game. I didn't have a Sega CD at the time. So I was starting to figure out a plan to get one. (laughs) That plan happened to involve Neil and I got a Sega CD, Um, (laughs) you know, thank God uh, for Neil. Right. And then (laughs) so but then uh, it didn't end up coming out on the Sega CD it got delayed and delayed and delayed and then the next time they showed pictures it it had evolved and it looked different and uh in Japan they had changed the name instead of being called Fantasy Star 4 they just called it you know Fantasy Star End of the Millennium um then you know it released in Japan they announced the US one would be coming and i had to wait and wait and wait and wait and it finally came out and it came out on a cartridge one of those horrible paper box sega games with the terrible artwork oh my gosh the cover (laughs) the the us cover was hideous like it made it made the fantasy star 2 cover look like a masterpiece and the Fantasy star 2 cover was not all that great you know nothing to write home about the us one i had a boxed i had a mega drive box copy of Fantasy star 2 3 and 4 for the longest time um, I eventually, you know, I think I might've given one of those to you, James, or something in one of our crazy trades back in the day. Um, <laughs> likely. right. But I remember, um, fantasy star four came out and it came out and I had, I saved up my money and it was like eighty nine ninety nine at target or something. And I bought it. I called like everybody, everybody was sold out. It was one of those games where stores only got like maybe one or two. Or five. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if that, that, right. <laughs> if that, and I popped that in that, that it was a Friday when I picked it up. And I think I almost stayed up for like twelve hours straight. I believe with it. Fantasy Star for that. That game brought everything together. You got the great music, the great graphics from one and two. You've got a really good story. I mean, it didn't it didn't do anything revolutionary, but it did everything right good story, great characters, the battles were fun, it wasn't as grindy, it brought back the planetary travel, it brought back the vehicles, there's a ton of easter eggs for fans of the first three games and it even um, throws a lot of shade to Fantasy Star 3 when you get into the story and they talk about, because Phantasy Star 3 is actually taking place uh, concurrently with Phantasy Star 4 or right after Fantasy Star 4 if you look at the Japanese timeline mm-hmm. um, but I just remember being really, really Really happy with Fantasy Star 4, and I I loved every minute of that game, and I liked the new combat system they added. um How you could do macros, um, all that stuff was just really fun. What yeah, did you that guys? Was,
1: that was the thing with it was that there, you know, RPGs had begun to become much more of a thing globally. You know, even the Final Fantasy games had begun to be sold. In the US, um, particularly the Super NES, um, Final Fantasy 2 and 3, aka 4 and 6. And so those games were still ridiculously popular in Japan. And a lot of the quality of life things that were particularly harsh in Phantasy Star 2, like all of that stuff got ironed out with four in like a really beautiful way because you know you just you just save outside of the town you know, it's like you know really, what, really, really, yeah. yeah you know what
0: my favorite <laughs> qol feature is and it's cool because like if you play it i have it on the uh, ultimate sega collection on my xbox now is if you don't remember where you were going or what you were supposed to do <sighs> in the game you hit talk and the characters talk about it They're like oh we're supposed to go here and get this and do that i'm like oh i love that feature. Life <laughs> more ever. games <laughs> <laughs> It yes. really is because if you were playing Fancy Star Two and you saved it, and then five years later you went back, you just better start all over again because yeah, you're no, totally lost,
1: completely screwed.
0: Yeah. So did you, um, did you pick it up on release day? Six button. Uh,
1: I did not actually. I was by the time that rolled around, I was a completely hopeless Street Fighter addict. Yeah. And um actually by the time the US version of that would have dropped, I had already picked up an import PlayStation. And you know, between fighting games and being an absolute whore for Ridge Racer, which is another thing to be discussed some other time, um, you know, there were a lot of late generation 16-bit games that I did not get to play at the time they actually dropped. Part of it was the fact that on one of the transactions I had made with a friend, I had picked up this thing called a Super Pro Fighter, which was a disc copier for Super NES and Genesis. And so the first exposure I had to Fantasy Star 4 at all was actually a pirated discette copy of it. And I remember playing it and thinking it was like, supremely beautiful and like this huge jump over the earlier games just aesthetically i mean this is like you know the peak of the genesis and mega drive like just absolutely gorgeous visually like the the color palette just exploited to the fullest but my attention span for such things at that time was just shit so um i didn't get to play it until much later on and in fact, at this very moment I'm in the middle of a replay of Fantasy Star Four. <laughs> nice. It, it is uh it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful game.
0: What about uh you, Lord Mitch? Uh
2: I really blame that later era of sixteen bit on my poor college performance uh 1997. <laughs> and I mean I i was just devouring every anything i could get my hands on and fantasy star 4 was one of the biggest culprits um and again that's way late in the game like i i came to it late and uh i i know i still ended up paying a lot for it was it did it retail as high as like uh three like 80, ninety nine it was ninety nine ninety nine at,
0: uh, at a lot of stores target had it for 89 that's why i went there oh, but like f- toys r us was 99 um software etc and eb games was 99 yeah the and uh i ended up getting lucky and target had it for 89.99 that's wow. why i got my copy at. yeah so you yeah,
2: can pick up that and the pizza right at <laughs> yeah, the little caesars that used to be right next to that target <laughs> and oracle yeah that's right i think i actually got my copy at, at uh, this little pawn shop that was down speedway called americana I think oh it's called, yeah yeah, I yeah, yeah. 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 They're, they're, yeah they're still around they're called metronome now metronome yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly um but yeah i ended up trading in some guitar pedals uh to get a hold of this one because it was still priced like 60 bucks or something even used and i didn't For get the ugly box it was just the cartridge you're and, not uh, missing
0: anything the box was terrible the yeah. manual was black <laughs> and white Like it was like what, what am i gonna do with this this is crap hideous red cardboard <laughs> box yeah. Which but sadly it's yeah, was...
1: probably just up the price on that thing now.
0: Right. Yeah, I'm sure a mint <laughs> copy of that is insane. With yeah. That yeah.
2: crappy box.
1: Because most people like us have been like, oh, fuck this box. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a, it was a great time for me. I and mean, that was really, that was kind of the birth, you know, of my real hardcore uh, appetite for, for games. And it, it kept going right on down to, uh, the the dreamcast era and that's when it got really out of hand yeah we'll get to that uh we'll get to that in a minute um
0: so the this game they really tried to tie in the sort of like put a nice bow on the story and wrap it up in a gift wrap um you know in the story you're supposed to confront the dark force for the last Mm -hmm. time and stop this cycle of evil that comes every thousand years but you know if you do that then you can't make any more games and (laughs) so far they have not they have not made another single player story driven um fantasy star rpg we got most of these games uh you know, all the three of them, two, three, and four, were all in the 16-bit. Fantasy Star One was on 8-bit. They did re-release Fantasy Star One on a Mega Drive cart, but it was pretty much just the uh, the same game because the Mega Drive pretty much contained the guts of the, uh, the Sega Sega Mark III slash Master System inside. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the part where things are going to get a little crazy. So Fantasy Star sits on the back burner for years. Uh, well it seems like at the time for all of us right it, it I remember at this time it felt like forever I was like when are we going to get another game <laughs> right the Saturn was the Saturn had come out in Japan I picked up the uh US Sega Saturn on its early release at Toys R Us that pissed off a lot of other retailers <laughs> and uh we were all assuming all right Fancy Star Five's is coming to the Saturn it didn't help that magazines like EGM and GamePro they would all push that same sort of thought like we're waiting for Fantasy Star Five. Where it is? It Sega is working on Fantasy Star Five. Blah 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 blah. And so we waited. That never happened. We did get the Fantasy Star Collection on Saturn, which I imported, and quickly figured out that although I could read rudimentary Japanese, okay, trying to play these games in pure Japanese was not very good. Um, but it did have a bonus disc with all the Japanese TV commercials, which were really hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff on that on that collection i ended up i think i took that back and and uh, traded it into neil at bookman's <laughs> <laughs> you know,
2: um, i don't know that i would trade having you know not gotten a fantasy star on saturn uh with what i ended up playing what i mean is that because it never showed up I I went back and played stuff like Shining in the Darkness and Shining the Holy mm-hmm. Dark and and mm-hmm. Shining Force. So I'm I mean I got a chance to really play some other great RPGs that I probably wouldn't have played had five arrived on the Saturn.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I I, I, mean, I, I like uh that Sega CD that I never got <laughs> Fantasy Star Four on. I did end up playing like the um Shining Force CD and the Lunar Games. Like there was a ton of great games on the Sega CD that might be an episode stalling itself on one of our podcasts.
2: All the upgrading um, of the Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> the the beast. The assembly and the dismantling
1: of it. the beast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Has any console get, had that
0: many like crazy add ons in its history? Never. No. Yeah, I mean no.
2: <laughs> that machine had everything. Time to take a quick break, everybody. And we'll be right back as we go into (laughs) Fantasy Star Online. (laughs) I'm going to jump out. Same. (laughs) Some great transition music, man. Thanks.
1: Nothing like the dating game
0: theme. Thanks, everybody, for checking out part one of our History of Fantasy Star on the Retro Futurist Podcast. Stay tuned. Part two's coming right up. We got a little wild and carried away. Part two, we're going to get right into Fantasy Star Online. You guys are going to love it. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening to the Retro Futurist Podcast, a part of Ruminations Radio Network. Peace.